This is a podcast from thebuglepodcast.com. Newspaper for a visual world. Hello, Buglers, and welcome to issue 258 of the Bugle Audio Newspaper for a Visual World for the week beginning Monday, the 27th of January 2014, with me, Andy Zaltzman. That's my story, and I'm sticking with it. And joining me in the city that never sleeps, must be stressed about money, have young children, or racked by existential guilt, is New York, USA. It's the man who can do anything. He recently turned a puppy into a dog just by keeping it in his flat for a couple of years. It's the <laughs> dog maker general himself, John Oliver. Hello, Andy. Hello, Buglers. That's right, Andy. I'm the dog Jesus. Water, wine, puppy, dog. I did the second one. How hard can the first be? It's all about confidence, isn't it? That's right. Or a very light-coloured Riesling. That's that's the key. It's f***ing cold here in New York, Andy. I don't know how cold it is where you are or where anyone is, but it's not as f***ing cold as it is here. <laughs> I think this- you might have frozen the subway solid this morning. Right. And it, it's so cold that it could not be melted by people's flaming anger. <laughs> and there was a lot of that. Oh, wow. But in New York, that is that is saying something. <laughs> <laughs> so that seems to be an increasingly common complaint from you, John. But, uh, yeah, because it is. Because yeah. it's f***ing cold, Andy. Right. Um, I predict that you will change your tune within six months. I doubt that. <laughs> I doubt that. I'm, I'm, pre- I'm pretty stuck on this at the moment, Andy. I think you're probably wrong. <laughs> uh, so, yes, the week beginning uh, Monday the 27th of January uh, 2014. That uh, marks the 11th anniversary of the creation of the Department of Homeland Insecurity. Uh, also, it marks 1,973 years since the death of Caligula, the professional emperor, ah. platinum-level horn dog, aqueduct fan, Berlusconi inspiration, and five-time Roman pervert of the year. That was a <laughs> hotly contested title back in the day, and remains a hotly contested title. Um, <laughs> it's one thing to win it, it's another to retain it, Andy. That's right. Five yeah. times, they should almost have retired it at that point. <laughs> yeah, well, they didn't retire it, as the history of Rome since then uh, can testify. He is nevertheless still a hall of, uh, hall of famer. In uh, mm-hmm. in Roman perversion, but there have been a lot of pretty impressive challenges from his spiritual descendants in the Eternal City, particularly some of the medieval popes. Um, cracking ban that was too, um, including a man with a strong claim to being the pissed poorest pontiff of all time, John the Twelfth. Uh, he was a 10th century AD pope who was a famous shagger, booze hound, devil worshipper, occult- <laughs> occultist, rapist, <laughs> thief, incestualizer, and murderer. Wow, that is. That is not classic Pope he, he material. He only really ticks the last one in Pope boxes there, doesn't he? <laughs> uh, it's, all this is alleged. I don't want his lawyers to get cranky with us. But uh, it's alleged that he stole church treasures, slept with his two sisters. He's alleged to have raped peasants and pilgrims, sometimes in St. Peter's in itself, which I'm pretty sure from my visit to the Vatican is on the list of prohibited activities, along with flash photography, low-cut tops, screaming and genocide. Before wrapping up his innings of immorality by being battered to death with a hammer by the husband of a woman into whose supposedly spoken-for spangle crank he was flamboying his popey prongulum. Um, he was made pope as a teenager, John, uh, this uh, John the Twelfth uh, geezer. Uh, turns out giving yeah. someone that amount of celebrity and influence at that young an age can seriously affect their behaviour, so very much the Justin Bieber of his day, <laughs> which I think why Bieber's followers are called believers. It's a nod to his papal heritage. But uh, let's try and be positive about uh, about John the Twelfth. Let's see the good in what he did. He ordained a deacon in a stable. 
That's just, you know, money saving. He consecrated a 10-year-old boy as bishop. Uh, if you're good enough, you're old enough. And what an inspiration to young wannabe bishops around the world that's got to improve kids' behaviour. He drank toast to the devil, you know, buttering up your en- enemies, keeping the D-Dog on side. Might calm him down a bit. He had an awful temper. He invoked pagan gods when playing dice. That is surely better than invoking pagan gods when conducting mass. Uh, he maimed and mutilated his opponents. Cruel to be kind. He converted a papal palace into a brothel. Business is business. And he castrated one of his cardinals. Well... He probably wasn't going to use them anyway, and it made him more hydrodynamic in nudie swimming races. Now, that is a checklist of naughtiness that Caligula himself would have been proud of, or at least considered a morning well spent. Uh, John XII was criticised heavily at the time by contemporary pundits, including the prominent monk commentator Alan Shirerius, who said about John XII, he'll be disappointed with that when you're Pope, you've just got to do better than that. Um... So that's, uh, yeah, indirectly, that's happy happy death day to Caligula and everything that he inspired. As always, a section of the Bugle is going straight in the bin. This week, Bugle Undercover. We go undercover to investigate your queries about what is really going on in the world, including answering the following questions. Are British schoolchildren being put through mock executions in school playgrounds to increase discipline in the classroom? Are the big oil companies stealing stray dogs off the street, pulping them down in an industrial macerator to make a new carbon product, pooch oil, that can make cars run fast and bark at potential car thieves? And is Barack Obama secretly running an illegal codger fighting ring in which major global figures from politics, industry and showbiz meet in a Washington warehouse and bet sums of tens of thousands of dollars on bare-knuckle punch-ups between pensioners. I can reveal the answer to all those questions. Almost certainly not. We are now 99% sure. That section in the bin. Top story this week, all aboard the peace train. Destination, hopefully slightly less fighting. It's the Peace Summit Roundup. Now, we talked a lot about Syria last week, Andy, which uh, I guess separated us from most comedy podcasts and also the news. Uh, A summit on Syria has been taking place this week in Switzerland because what says, calm the f*** down to two sides, more than easy access to cuckoo clocks, chocolate, skiing and an ugly national history of ignoring genocides. <laughs> this has been... The, that's, that's, that is indisputable. Yeah. I'm not willing to argue with the Swiss on that. Uh, this has been a long time coming. Diplomats from the UN, the US and Russia have been carefully cajoling both sides in the Syrian conflict to come to the table and talk in what has become known as Geneva 2. Uh, it is the blockbuster sequel to <laughs> Geneva 1 that everyone hoped would not be necessary. <laughs> Geneva 1, I'm tired of this shit. Geneva 2, this time it's even more personal. Uh, the the well, UN, as, as we know, John, that uh, you know, bafflingly some sequels get made no matter how bad the original was. (laughs) Yeah. The UN Secretary-General Ban Ki-moon said it would be unforgivable not to seize this opportunity to end a conflict that has left more than 100,000 people dead and driven 9.5 million from their homes. Although part of the problem is that it is also unforgivable that 100,000 people have died because of this conflict and it's going to be very hard to forgive the people directly responsible for it. That is the tough thing about peace negotiations, isn't it, Andy? The forgiveness part is a tricky egg to scramble. That's been proven throughout history. Uh, as a result of this, uh, there was not a great deal of optimism heading into the uh, the summit. Very much the um, 
Viewed to have the same likelihood of success as Laika, the pioneering Soviet cosmodog's prospect of managing a full <laughs> successful re-entry into the Earth's atmosphere and a smooth manual landing. You try controlling a 1950 space rocket without opposable thumbs whilst trying to read an instruction manual written in Russian. Uh, Peace fans had basically as bad as much hope as animal fans had of Ian the tasty-looking but socially nervous lamb of uh, managing to talk his way out of the abattoir. And... Um, it did not start too well. Any guesses, Buglers, a quick multiple-choice question for you now, how the talks on the first day went between the Syrian government and the Syrian opposition? Were they A, mature, constructive and mutually respectful, B, understandably tense but conciliatory and productive, C, oddly jovial, occasionally lewd and increasingly drunken, <laughs> or D, furiously vitriolic, with accusations thrown around like a frail granny who had wandered into WrestleMania 29 wearing an I hate muscly men t-shirt? <laughs> Answers on a postcard. It was even before day one, the build-up was so tense, especially seeing as there was absolutely no guarantee that either side would even bother to turn up. And it could very well have ended up with Ban Ki-moon sitting on his own at a massive table in Switzerland, <laughs> doodling a unicorn on a piece of paper and trying to remember all the words to here come the hot stepper. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is a blur in the past. <laughs> it's how I kill time. Uh, <laughs> Word her up, I'm the lyrical gangster, word her up. Excuse me, Mr. Officer. Um, tensions were increased even further when just three days before the conference, President Assad said in an interview that there was a significant chance that he would seek a third term in office in elections due this June in Syria. And you have to remember, when he says run for office, he means take office, Andy. <laughs> it's like if there was one scoop of ice cream in a bowl left and Assad said, I'm now going to run a campaign for that final scoop of ice cream. You know deep down that that ice cream is going into his face and anyone who thinks otherwise is going to end up extremely dead. Um, as you say, uh, it's been a tough week for, uh, for the UN Secretary General, uh, Ban Keith Moon, who's wearing the face of someone who's very much had enough of saying, please stop killing each other. And uh, he spoke... Uh, and said this, enough is enough, the time has come to negotiate. Which he's basically been saying now for three years, and the fact is, enough was enough f***ing ages ago, and the time to negotiate yeah. was early in 2011, or <laughs> at any point subsequently in 2012 or 2013. We have a difficult road ahead, he said, but it can mm -hmm. be done, and it must be done, he said, before getting into his car, driving two yards down that road and disappearing into a sinkhole. Well, he didn't, he maybe didn't, help things, Andy, because before the pre-talks talks even began, there was a huge surprise when Iran was suddenly invited along too. And that seemed like a bold move. That's like taking an already intensely spicy bowl of chilli and adding an actual hand grenade to it. You have to question whether its inclusion is in the best interest of the dish as a whole. Uh, Iran has uh, been a key ally of Assad, and, but Ban Ki-moon apparently said that he strongly believed Iran had to be part of the solution to the crisis in Syria. And he might be right about that. But do you introduce it at this difficult early stage? When you have a mountain to climb, do you release a bunch of lions at the bottom of the mountain as well? Lions are majestic creatures, Andy, undeniably. <laughs> but maybe at least get out of base camp first before you're gored to death. <laughs> Well, it's very hard to know what we what more we can do, John, because a lot of the debates at Geneva too are about the communique issued 
at Geneva One. And really, what more can the international community do than issue a communique and ask people to sign it? There are no other avenues down which we can row the leaking gondola of diplomacy. And unsurprisingly, uh, this invitation turned out to be trying to calm down a wasp's nest by slamming your head into it whilst dressed as a bee. Uh, And Tehran instantly accepted the offer, pledging to play a positive and constructive role, at which point the opposition national coalition firmly announced the entire port peace talks could f*** the f*** off until Iran was de-invited. And a day later, Ban Ki-moon was forced to retract his invitation. And well, you've got to hand it to BKM Andy. He must be great at throwing dinner parties. Uh, who have you invited, dear? Oh, well, I've uh, invited Tom and Margot um, and uh, Michael and Diane. I thought that'd be nice. Uh, and then I thought I'd invite Michael's ex-wife as well. Uh, <laughs> and that guy who Margot once went on a date with and said it was the worst experience of her life. And then I also invited that guy everyone thinks is responsible for burning the local church down. Should be a fun evening, right, love? <laughs> There are 40 uh, different states uh, in attendance at this conference, which does sound slightly like too many cooks spoiling the broth. But I guess uh, on the other side of it's that... It's a shitty broth, Well, the Andy. broth, the broth a- has, <laughs> tastes like the shit that it's been made with, so you might as well let as many cooks have a look at it as possible and try and learn from the previous cooks' mistakes. Mexico are there. That's got to bring, uh, you know... I'll- Bring some big hats and overhead kicks to the situation. And the Vatican are there. The Vatican City there, John. Um, are they really? Yeah. So maybe we're just going to try and persuade both sides in the conflict to stop using condoms. Maybe that'll help. <laughs> <laughs> That's, they are really hanging in there with condoms are the main problem in the entire world, aren't they? they you cannot question their commitment to that concept. Uh, Day one was supposed to just be ceremonial with a, you know, a sequence of formal speeches uh, without one another in the room, just dipping your toe into diplomacy to test the temperature of the water. Uh, but it turns out that temperature could overboil an egg faster than it takes you to say, wow, that egg boiled quickly. Wow. A uh, serious foreign midi- uh, minister said his country was engaged in a war against terrorist groups, uh, adding that only the Syrian people could decide on Assad's future. Uh, and the opposition leader uh, said that human rights violations in Syria were reminiscent of Nazi Germany uh, and suggested that President uh, Assad leaving was a complete precondition for peace. So, I mean, you have to hand it to him, Andy. That's a hell of an opening bid from each side. One side ca- getting called terrorists, while the other side is getting called Nazis. If, if it was a poker game, you'd be getting a lot of other people pushing their cards into the middle of the table saying, yeah, this game's a little spicy for me, before <laughs> grabbing the coats off the back of their chair and running home. <laughs> well, bear po- in mind, bear in mind, those two men weren't even supposed to be in the negotiating room together <laughs> until later today when they're scheduled to negotiate in private. And there's, there's no word about whether they're in there or how it's going yet. But I just hope they removed anything pointy and made sure that they screwed the chairs to the floor. <laughs> this all explains why uh, Sergei Lavrov, the Russian foreign minister, said that the uh, talks between the uh, warring sides from Syria will be, quotes, like an overweight, arthritic and spiritually committed nun. So, so no, no, he said they will be neither quick nor easy. <laughs> you want to just, uh, you want to celebrate that, Andy? You're gonna, That's fine, fine. Are you running around the table or you just want to, you're just tapping that in and picking up the ball and running back to the centre circle? But uh, perhaps the most uh, constructive contribution came from Tony Abbott, the Australian Prime Minister who swept to power in last year's uh-huh. uh, election on a platform of, as far as I could make out, being anti-immigrants, anti-women and anti-scientific fact. And he weighed into the Syrian debate 
by saying that it often seems like a struggle that involves baddies versus baddies. And I guess the best way... He said that? (laughs) Did he say that? He did. An (laughs) adult said that to other adults. An adult. Uh, Are you sure he wasn't overheard explaining it to his three-year-old? Well, I mean, it it was the Australian people. That's, you know, I guess you could argue that is very much a spiritual three-year-old. I I wouldn't say that myself. I would leave that to you. To uh, let me just st- let me just up. warn you, Andy, about what making glib comments on this podcast can do to the nation of Australia. <laughs> he also tread said, lightly. I guess the best way for them to demonstrate for, for all of them to demonstrate if some of them are goodies is to lay down their arms. <laughs> so, oh my there you go. god! But you know, often <laughs> does it, it, I don't. I don't think he understands that it, in laying down the arms, the other one it seems is going to commit <laughs> ethnic cleansing. It's hard. <laughs> The baddies are real uppercase B baddies yes, in this case. Yes, yes. They are, um, that is. Problem. He, he uh, explained his use of colloquial language, saying he was trying to explain complex situations to yeah. ordinary people. <laughs> so, read into that what you will, Australia. That's your yeah. prime minister calling it, not me or John. It gets, <laughs> it gets one step bleaker than that because just days before the talks were scheduled to begin, Syria's national reconciliation minister—that is the man <laughs> whose sole job, Andy, sole job—does even have an office? Is to, posi- <laughs> yeah, is to positively drive to find a way to bring anyone together. He said, don't expect anything from Geneva 2. Neither Geneva 2, nor Geneva 3, nor Geneva 10 will solve the Syrian crisis. The solution has, be- has begun and will continue through the military triumph of the state. <laughs> Whoa. Is he aware of what his job title is, Andy? Because he's acting like Syria's national provocation minister, and they already seem to have hundreds of those. Well, that's got to be a tough, that's a tough brief, isn't it? National yeah. reconciliation. That's, I guess, like being in charge of the uh, Congolese Winter Olympic team. You know, it's you know, at best, you're hoping for quite shit results. Uh, it's not just uh, politicians and business leaders who've been uh, been at uh, at Davos. There've been uh, a lot of celebs there, including uh, charity active actors uh, such as Goldie Hawn, Matt Damon, uh-huh. and the late Buster Keaton, plus the South Korean <laughs> rapper Psy the originator of the worldwide hit Gangnam Style. Um, Why was he there, you may ask? Is it because the whole thing is just a glorified jolly of no practical use to anyone earning (laughs) under $500,000 a year? No, it's not that. that. No, it turns out that if if you play Gangnam Style backwards, it is a trenchant refutation of Keynesian economics. He's very much much their poster boy. Uh, Some interesting talks held at the meeting included business and sustainability, Managing profit margins in a shrinking marketplace. Who needs plebs? Does watching people starve give you the horn? And masturbating over the share price page in the Wall Street Journal is perfectly normal behaviour. So uh, some fascinating stuff going on in the Swiss mountains. In, uh, in one of the more jarring juxtapositions of humanity, Switzerland is actually running another summit at the same time this week, and that is the World Economic Summit in Davos. So, <laughs> one in Geneva, two blood-drenched sides scream at each other in hopeless rage. In Davos, billionaires ski around each other on champagne-drenched mountains. And <laughs> it's kind of, it's e- what you could have had. <laughs> that's, it's the, it's, you know, that's right, it's the bookends of life on this particular globe. In one... I don't know, how far is Davos from Geneva? It's, uh, well, it's, it can't be that far. No, I mean Switzerland isn't uh, isn't that big. I mean, it takes a while to get around just because you have to just stop and count all your Jewish gold every couple of miles. But, you know, I don't know. In actual distance, it was ages so. ago, Andy. It was, actually, it wasn't that long ago at all. Um, 
in uh, in one of the more uh, in, in in an effort to assist uh, those billionaires into understanding what the non-snowboarding millionaire uh, life is. Uh, <laughs> Apparently, they'll be able to take part in exercises such as a refugee run, uh, where a charity called the Crossroads Foundation is attempting to highlight the plight of refugees by pushing some of the richest people in the world down a street and jostling them a little bit. Uh, it was, it was, it was billed as an attempt to give the rich and powerful an insight into what it's like to be penniless and powerless. But they don't need a refugee run to show them that, Andy. They should just go up to one of their servants, ideally one whose name they think they might be able to guess, and simply ask them how their day was. That's, that's basically all they need. <laughs> the whole location of Switzerland for the Syrian peace talks may be a mistake, especially after there were some developments in the South Sudan peace talks this week. You might remember uh, that uh, last bugle, we talked about the fact that after a double booking in a hotel conference room in Addis Ababa, uh, the Sudanese peace talks took place on the dance floor of an elite ba- uh, nightclub, the, ba- the basement of an elite nightclub uh, in uh, Ethiopia. And we liked, you know, the detail of that story because, you know, it was, it was silly. They were on a dance floor in front of a DJ booth talking about incredibly serious things. And and to get to the negotiation table, we also found out last week they had to cross a big glass bridge and sit in a room that probably still smelt of perfume and margaritas. <laughs> and, you know, here's the thing. It worked. <laughs> they officially signed a ceasefire in South Sudan this week. I knew there was something in it, Andy. <laughs> it was too stupid not to work. <laughs> Nightclub diplomacy is the future. Every summit should have a velvet rope at the front and all delegates should be given glow sticks. The Secretary General of the UN should not be Ban Ki-moon, Andy. It should be Red Foo or Will I Am or Skrillex. And in fact... <laughs> Skrillex? Skrillex, yeah. Skrillex, well, Isn't Andy. that some kind of an ointment you can use for no. genital infections? <laughs> No, it is a hybrid international DJ and oh, sink right. cleaner. Uh, <laughs> right, my, the, <laughs> my mistake. In, in fact, Andy, this is how all nightclubs should now be advertising. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah! Come on down to the Vortex! We have four floors of hard house dance music, all of which also double perfectly as a space to negotiate the end to an intractable conflict! Yeah! Nice! There are foam cannons in the ceiling... Perfect for taking the party up a notch. And also perfect for injecting a moment of levity into discussions about millions of displaced civilians. Every Friday night, people are bouncing and reaching for the lasers. But on Saturday afternoons, people can be reaching for lasting solutions to the brutalities of war. <laughs> All of this is available for your Vortex. We also do bar mitzvahs. Women get in free. Come on down. Woo-woo! <laughs> Oh, that's a lot of background research has gone into that job. I'm very impressed. <laughs> that background research is called being 15 at one point, I think. <laughs> one point and in the middle of last having... week. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, this does does raise some hope if the nightclub uh, nightclub diplomacy has worked in uh, in Africa. It just seems that just a bit of fun is needed. We are in Switzerland. Well, what is Switzerland synonymous with? Bobsled runs, John. Are you telling me <laughs> that if you put two True. people from each side in the Syrian conflict in True. a four-man bob and chuck them down a, down a bobsled run, they will not sort it out within approximately 45 seconds <laughs> with the G-forces running through their necks? <laughs> they will true. sort it out. Has anyone from a major bobsled team ever started a war? No, almost certainly not. God. I mean, it, 
feels instinctively like you're wrong, but mathematically, <laughs> I think you're right. Can I, can I just say that there has been some bizarre pop culture thread running <laughs> through the last 20 minutes. <laughs> you, yeah. You've come up, Andy, with your... A typical, slightly odd pronunciation of a pop act. That's fine. Yeah. All right. Well, how's it? Yeah. How's it supposed? And to be I think you're, you're close enough. It's more silent, yeah. but that's. And then, yeah. John, not only have you referred to Skrillex and Rave Nights, <laughs> you've also yeah. done a, a, a terrible misquotation of Inie Kamosi's "Here Comes the Hot Stepper." Uh, what was it? <laughs> misquotation? What is it? it you're saying you this said, with a man you, who studied you this said, in depth. You said um, they call me unstable, and then what did you next say? I, I said, said, "Here comes the Hot Stepper." I'm the lyrical gangster. Excuse me, Mr. Officer. That's what I said. I'm, I'm sure you wrong? said word her up or something like that. Did, did, I'm sure you... <laughs> I, I, it's it's I murderer. It's murderer. murderer. <laughs> well, it's I've got just, to be yeah, murderer. I got my teenage years wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. No, don't, do not apologise. <laughs> Listen, if, if, if I have... If I've inaccurately quoted, I need... <laughs> Andy Kamosi. I apologise, Chris, and you're right to pick me up on that. I do not want Kamosi's lawyers no. to descend on us like a pack of vultures. This you know, is a was... new show. We need co- our content to be accurate. He was one yeah. of uh, quadruplets. Andy Kamosi's brothers, uh, Meanie, Miney and Mo. <laughs> Water cannon news now. Uh, and in an amazing move, uh, the police in Britain are to ask the Home Secretary for permission to use water cannons against protesters across the country. Uh, the argument, apparently, from uh, police chiefs is that more water cannons are going to be necessary because, and I quote, austerity measures are likely to lead to continued protest. And this puts the government in an extremely awkward situation, Andy, because if they sign off on these water cannons, they've essentially said... Look, we acknowledge now that there is serious social unrest due to our policies. So uh, we would like to pacify that unrest by blasting people in the face with water cannons. <laughs> Unless unrest is soluble, Andy, I'm not sure that's going to work. It's, it's an amazing fork in the road. Do we craft a new policy in the wake of public unrest and attempt to find a nuanced solution to this complicated economic and social problem? Or... <clears throat> Do we shoot people in the face with water cannons? Uh, let's put it to a vote in the room. Hands up for nuanced policy. Anyone? <laughs> Anyone at all? Raise your hand. OK, I think I know where this is going, but just to be sure, hands up for water, ca- water cannons it is. Um, <laughs> you don't need an exact head count there, Stefan. Just uh, put down all and zero. <laughs> Critics have warned that this is a step towards the militarisation of the police and could be used to stifle the democratic right to protest, while supporters mm. of the move have highlighted that it is a step towards the militarisation of the police and could be used to stifle the democratic right to protest. <laughs> and it does show, John, that uh, I think to, to serving politicians, the word protest is basically the same as the word riot. And you know, they basically think to themselves, well, I've seen the highlights of St. Petersburg 1917. These things never end well. <laughs> and if, it's, it's, it's a, it's, it has two benefits. If any protesters float on the water, they can also be prosecuted as witches. The um, Commissioner of the Met Police, Sir Bernard Hogan Howe, has pledged that water cannon would be like a 19th century child, rarely used and rarely seen. And many public facilities are like that. Um, you know, We have to know that they're there, but they won't necessarily be used. For example, uh, nuclear weapons. Uh, the poor, tax avoidance charges for the super wealthy and morality. And water cannons very much in that same political category. Um, 
Boris Johnson, writing to the Home Secretary, said, um, referred to the uh, the interim water cannon solution, which I think is a band he was in at school, as, quote, <laughs> a national asset. <laughs> That makes it sound like something we can promote ourselves with as a nation. (laughs) Britain, a hotbed historically of industrial invention, democratic freedoms, artistic creativity, an innate willingness to complain about non-extreme weather conditions, and a (laughs) never-say-die, stiff upper lip attitude that has seen us through wars, plagues, and hundreds of years of a frankly appalling national diet. We also have water cannons. Team GB, (laughs) God spray our gracious queen. God splash (laughs) our soggy queen. God bathe the queen. (laughs) The the other irony is that these water cannons would be used in the face of public anger at massive cutbacks, and they themselves are not f***ing cheap to buy, Andy. We would be spending nearly a million dollars, I think over £600,000 per cannon, which adds serious insults to water-inflicted injury. Uh, the water cannon we'd apparently be looking at purchasing uh, around the country is apparently the Ziegler Wasserwerfer 9000. <laughs> <laughs> and it's not a fake name. No. Oh. Ziegler, Ziegler Wasserwerfer 9000. Uh, but that sounds it, like the kind of thing that Hitler would have invented if he'd been born a bit later and got into designing water parks. <laughs> but it can get, I mean, yeah, it would have, would if have only, been. If only. If, yeah, sure, it would have been preferable, but I still think he could have found a way to make them devastate. <laughs> And uh, you certainly would not be getting a ticket for the big flu, either, Andy. Uh, but it can get through its uh, 9,000 litres, apparently, in just five minutes at full pressure. Apparently, the water in the tank has to be kept at five degrees centigrade to uh, prevent the onset of medical conditions associated with the shock of being exposed to cold water. <laughs> Does Ziegler Wasserwerfer for 9,000? <laughs> Basically, the subtext of everything Boris Johnson has said is... Clean the hippies. First decent shower that I've had in 20 years. Exactly. If we've got any wedge left over from the water cannons, we'll buy some ninjas with those throwing stars to give them a long-distance haircut too. Oh, Margaret, you did not die in vain. Sports news now, and some wonderful news for the nation of Britain. Frankel, the former champion racehorse, who has reported exclusively in Bugle 214, has since retirement been earning his living as an equine gigolo, banging lady horses on demand in exchange for suitcases yep. full of cash, has become a father. His first foal was born this week, and a BBC correspondent described it as being like the birth of a royal child. <laughs> <laughs> well... It's as important. Well, it's probably worth more. We're all going to spend a lot of our time betting on things that it does or doesn't do. <laughs> uh, anyway, I went down to uh, the Coolmore Stud Farm in Horseland, sorry, Ireland, uh, to talk to the five-year-old <laughs> horse Thario. Frankel, unbeaten champion racehorse, two-time European Horse of the Year. Thank you very much for talking to the Bugle. You're welcome, Andy. Long-time listener, thanks for coming down. So I hear congratulations are in order. You and your sometime girlfriend, Chrysanthemum, have uh, just had a baby. (laughs) Yeah, thanks, Andy. He's a lovely little foal, apparently. I don't expect I'll get to have much say in his upbringing, though. I don't see his mother much anymore. Oh, why is that? He's not too impressed that I've also impregnated 125 other horses. I've told her I can change, but she's having none of it. Well, those must be some seriously impressive horse balls you've got there, big stuff. (laughs) From you, Andy, that means a lot. (laughs) 
You want some grass? Uh, no thanks, not really my scene. Now, it sounds like you must be having an absolutely awesome time in retirement. What the serious candy? Seriously? You mean that? Sure, it was fun at first. I like a bit of the old giddy-up Tonto as much as the next horse. But after a while you want a little bit more out of life than coerced casual sex whilst some guy with a clipboard watches on and checks that you um, leave the appropriate deposit. I know I shouldn't say I feel like a piece of meat, but a lot of my old horse racing friends are literally pieces of meat. But I want more out of life than f***y, f***y, horsey, horsey. <laughs> but uh, I've heard the money's really good. Fifteen million pounds you're said to have earned as a horse in your first year on the game. Yeah, but you know how the industry works. After the bosses have taken their bit, I'll be lucky to see three mil of that. What am I going to spend it on? It's very hard to find nice clothes in my size. I don't like fancy food and I'm not allowed to drive a car. Right. Okay, now, I don't want to get personal here, Frankel, but after so many um, conquests, do you have any, well, difficulty, you know, um, making Percy perky? Hell yeah. They have to show me videos of the Australian superhorse Black Caviar winning the Newmarket Handicap in 2011 to get me even halfway handy these days. Man, she was a hottie. Oh, yeah. I know she wants it. I know she wants it. She's a good horse. Can't let her get past me. You see what I mean, Andy? I've changed. I've changed. Frankel, thank you very much for talking to the Bugle. Get me out of here, Andy. I'll do anything. Pantomime, donkey rides on the beach. My horsey dongle needs a holiday. Not in France, but somewhere. Well, well done, Andy. How's uh... Well, well done for getting that, scooping that official interview. Well done. Now, just just a bit of uh, context. Frankel was indeed the world's top racehorse. He won all fourteen of his races, uh, and he apparently commands a one hundred twenty-five thousand pounds a time stud fee. Uh, apparently, he mated with uh, one hundred thirty-three mares at Banstead Manor Farm near Newmarket uh, between February and June 2013 uh, and has been described as both super fertile and, I quote, a thorough gentleman. Uh, Again, just to be clear, he may be described as a thorough gentleman, but he's still very much an actual horse. Uh, He... (laughs) He yielded an estimated fifteen million pounds from his first season at start. Fifteen million, and could reap a total of more than a hundred million pounds from his breeding, just his breeding career alone. But will he truly find love, Andy? No, and that's the tragic thing. Not because of the money involved, but because he is, and I think we keep forgetting this, a horse. He is just a horse. But clearly. Economically, this is just the beginning, Andy. You have to let the market dictate behaviour, and we should be doing this with athletes. In Britain, we have great cyclists, and it is a national economic tragedy that we are not currently putting Sir Chris Hoy out to stud. It's a waste. (laughs) Well, I mean, surely, by now, I mean, gold, the price of gold has has collapsed. There's no real certainties in the international markets these days. But you would have thought that, you know, the... The, the sperm and eggs of leading sportsmen and sportswomen really should yeah. be the most stable currency there is in the world. Yeah, Chris Hoy's sperm has never gone down in value. <laughs> never is a true word. But you, you, the problem is you just you just don't want terrorist groups getting hold of it. That's, no, that's, that, is, that's, that's that's that is such a good point. Your emails now, and uh, we just have... Uh, 
Time for a very quick email. Uh, we have one here from uh, Laura, who says, Dear Andy, John and Chris, I won't come up with a reason for it, as you shouldn't cushion the horror that is to come with humour. OK. <laughs> she says, I present to you three words never previously used together. Queen, shaped, dildo. <laughs> and she then provides a web link, uh, basically seemingly coming off the website <laughs> master masterpieces.com. Uh she says, I can't even think of anything funny to say as my mind is still reeling in horror at the fact that someone went to the trouble of making a phallus in the shape of the Queen, thinking someone would want to, you know, stick it up there. Anyway, <laughs> I felt the need to share this horror with others. And as my friends no longer accept my declarations of, oh, come look at this, I felt you all and possibly the rest of the buglers were the next logical choice. Yours in disgusted terror and in need of eye bleach, Laura. Um, well, wow. That is... Um it's yeah, I mean, either it's... the ultimate honour or the ultimate insult, well, I mean, that, 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 I mean, this is, this is a philosophical issue we've touched on uh, a number of times on the Bugle, right back to the early days of whether, you know, fa- f- you know <laughs> fantasising about the Queen. <laughs> I just clicked on the link! <laughs> I mean, is that, is that patriotic or treasonous? I mean, it is such a fine line, isn't it? That's not safe! Right. She's wearing the f***ing crown! Yeah, I mean, I don't know... I just hope it's not a detachable crown. Um... <laughs> Yeah, well... Oh, no! <laughs> I wish I hadn't clicked on that. I wish I hadn't clicked on that. Yeah. Well, I mean, you can't un- nothing... you cannot unclick on a webpage of a queen-shaped dildo. They that's... call it Her Majesty. <laughs> that is not... A, that's not an acceptable pun. Does it not show the esteem in which she is held? That's a patriotic... It, it does not. It British does not do that, Andy, no. ...would want her netherables to commune with the almighty monarch that surely shows that i mean you do not have a david cameron shaped dildo i I assume i i I hope and pray don't don't ask that because i'm sure there is one somewhere (laughs) chris has just shown me from the same company what appears to be a dildo shaped like a rabbi (laughs) yep i mean that's that's either building bridges across communities or burning bridges (laughs) It's called the rampant rabbi. Well, we find ourselves, ladies and gentlemen, at the sharp end of capitalism because there would not be supply without the money. <laughs> Maybe this. I mean, again, this this could be used in Syria. You know, I mean, an Assad-shaped pleasurer would, uh, you know, I mean, it would sell certainly, wouldn't it? Well, thanks for bringing our attention to that and. Uh, Really, that's got to be one of the low points of the 258 episodes. We've done. <laughs> but, uh, arguably matched by this from Sebastian, who wrote, Dear Andy and Chris, in order of whose fault this is, my girlfriend is coming over this weekend, and my man bush needed a good tidy up. Oh, I thought smart. I would get my regular bugle fix while I do this. What's the worst that could happen? All was going smoothly until about minute 22, when the mention of giving Dick Cheney a reach around just to stop him <laughs> masturbating in front of you for the rest of his life. At this point, I started giggling uncontrollably, which, when you have what is essentially two blades very close to your junk, is very dangerous. My self-performed operation now makes me kinfloak with Andy. Do you feel the connection <laughs> to... I'm very concerned well, this... about the blue direction. It got very blue. Emails. Yeah. Have... You never raise your game bugles, Rachel. There's quite enough filth coming in. <laughs> oh, dear. Uh, yes, well... It's going to be hard to forget that. that Please, um, can we end this show? 
please. Please can we end the concept of monarchy after that? <laughs> well, do keep your emails coming in, um, preferably not involving um, royalty-related <laughs> sexual accessories, to info at thebuglepodcast.com. Don't forget to check out our SoundCloud page, soundcloud.com slash the hyphen bugle and buy your Bugle merch and your volunteer subscriptions at thebuglepodcast.com. There is nothing more to add to this. Nothing more. (laughs) The rest is silence. Bye! Hi, it's producer Chris from The Bugle here. Did you know that I have a new series of my podcast, Richie Firth Travel Hacker, out now? It's the show where Richie Firth and I talk about how to make travel better in our very special way. In this series, we discuss line bikes, Teslas, the London Overground, and a whole bunch of other random stuff that possibly involves wheels or tracks or engines of some variety. God, what a hot sell this is. I mean, you you, you must be so excited. Listen now. <laughs>